There are plenty of things to talk about. There was an amazing home run derby last night on Monday. On Sunday was game three of the NBA Finals and the MLB Draft. Right now, just about to start on Tuesday, July 13th, is the MLB All-Star Game. Big Brother has started. Kevin Klum, sports editor for the News Tribune, a really good friend of mine. Every year we do a Big Brother draft and decide who's going to buy the other one dinner. I think I'm like two or three behind. He's beat me the last two drafts. We got to talk about that and break that down. I binge watched Dave over the weekend. Little Dickie show. We got to discuss that. However, all those things are going to have to wait. We're going to just have to wait till next show, which should be up tomorrow. Already started some of the editing and definitely excited to give you Seneca star pitcher Maggie Carpenter, who had a fantastic senior year at Seneca and is on to bigger and better things. We talk everything with her. It's going to be a blast. Great show. But, but, don't know if anybody I've had on Edge of Your Seat podcast can reach the legendary status of John Mason. Mason is our guest on this show, episode 184 of Edge of Your Seat podcast. He's 80 years old. He coached sports, mostly basketball, for 56 consecutive years and only stopped because of COVID-19. And then he was diagnosed in early of 2021 with stage four pancreatic cancer. That's not slowing him down. Maybe slowing him down, but not stopping him. Not yet. He's got Cubs games to watch or to cheer as they go through their losing streaks. As you will find out listening to this interview, this conversation, it was just a conversation. He led the way, really. I asked him a couple questions and he took off. His mind is very, very sharp. For 80 years old, he remembers names, he remembers places, he remembers lots of things that most people at 80 would forget. Such a great guest. I'm not going to do a full intro. I'm just going to let him talk. We actually talked for over an hour. Cut it down to just about an hour and two minutes, but it's worth it. Listen to as much of it as possible, if not the whole thing. Such a great man to talk to. In the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association Hall of Fame. He was celebrated for 50 years of coaching. They just had an open house over the weekend on Sunday, July 11th. For him reaching 56 years and everything that he's been able to do. Not only coaching, but teaching. He taught for over three decades. Just a fantastic man that did everything for other people. And you will find that out listening to this conversation. Do want to give his daughter, Amy Mason, a shout out. He said his daughter praised her, but we didn't get a name in there. So Amy Mason, got to give her a huge shout out. He speaks very, very, very highly of her. Got to put the name in there. Got to. And he told me she held the IHSA record for 29 consecutive made free throws which held up for a while. It's not the record anymore, but it did hold up for quite a long time. She made 28 in 1984 and then one more in 85, and that gave her the 29. 
So although it's not a record anymore, congrats to Amy for being able to do that. That's quite an accomplishment, especially in high school. Well, there's nothing else to say about John Mason and everything that he has done with his life, with his career, because he's going to do it himself. Let's do the plugs real quick, then we'll do some ads, and then we'll get to John. I'm your host, Brandon Lachance. You can listen to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our website, rss.com backslash podcasts with an S backslash Edge of Your Seat Podcast. Catch us on Facebook, Edge of Your Seat Podcast, and Twitter, Edge of Your Seat P. If you have any questions, suggestions, want to be a guest, know somebody that would be a good guest, you want to advertise with us, anything, send an email to edgeofyourseatpodcast at gmail.com. This show, episode 184, is brought to you by Shimmer Mendota Ford. Shimmer Mendota Ford is a community dealership that is here for you. They are definitely community first. After a miserable 2020 in every sense of the term, Mendota Shimmer Ford wants to make and keep and polish up 2021 to be the best year possible with style, comfort, and great deals. There are plenty of options at Shimmer Mendota Ford as it has a huge selection of new and used vehicles on the lot and even more on the website, www.mendotaford.com. Whether you shop online or at Shimmer Mendota Ford, located just south of Mendota on Highway 251, manager Ski Hartman and his associates, Jason Hintz and Doug Safranik, will use their expertise and understanding on the vehicle you're looking for to help you roll through 2021 just the way you want. Call 815-539-9314 for all vehicle inquiries at Shimmer Mendota Ford. It is summer. It's hot, but it's going to go fast, right? We're already almost halfway through July. That means we're kind of inching towards the end of the repair season, the renovation season, the let's fix our home to make it as comfortable as possible season. Let's get a new roof. Let's repair the stairs. This is the time to do it. And Olson Construction has just the guys to do it for you. Brothers Keith Milas and Tommy Olson will use their more than 10 years of experience to take care of your home renovations from start to finish with your thoughts and opinions taken with every step of the journey. The licensed and insured family-owned and operated company prides itself in offering family prices with family honesty on any job. Whether it be roofing, siding, windows, doors, stairs, deck designs, floors and tiling, garage additions, room additions, or full remodels. For a free estimate, call Olson Construction at 815-910-5982. Check out the Olson Construction LLC page on Facebook or send an email to olsonconstruction19 at gmail.com. Well, that's going to do it for the intro. Very, very short intro because we got to get to John Mason. We will be back soon. Very, 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 very soon with another episode of Edge of Your Seat Podcast. Until then, peace. It's not every day you hear a sports-like broadcast on a voicemail. But if you call my guest, that's exactly what you'll hear. You'll hear...
Cubs win, Cubs win, Cubs win. I am talking about the voicemail for John Mason. John, how are you today, man? I'm pretty good, I think. Are you waiting for a Cubs win? Yes. Uh, years ago, this would have been one of the greatest days that we had every summer because we didn't have a game. There's <laughs> no way we could lose, but that's changed a little over the last several years. With bringing the Cubs as the first topic that we talk about, I mean, it had to be huge for you to see the Cubs win a World Series. Absolutely, and uh, my daughter and I were at all the playoff games and uh, got to see us beat the Dodgers to clinch to go to the series, and that would be tied for the in-person sporting event, uh, in-personal attendance in my life. It might be number one, but I've coached... uh, an awful lot of basketball games and being able to, to be there for, for them too was pretty exciting but the in-person non-coaching event certainly that would have to be the number one cup thrill of my life in person and then beating Cleveland to win the World Series I'm not sure I still believe it as a Cup fan, when Cleveland tied it up late in the game, you, you just knew you had that sick pit feeling in the pit of your stomach, and you, it was here we go again, and you knew it was over. In fact, I told my daughter to shut it off, and uh, of course she didn't. And then comes the rain delay, and I go outside and uh, pace the streets in front of her house, and then she hollers at me, and it's back on. But I do believe it was number one. Yeah, definitely. Had to be. I remember watching that game, and I walked out of the establishment that I was when that happened, just like you did. I was like, I can't believe this. I don't even want to watch this. I did go back and watch it. My friends, we were all together, so had to, you know, make a memory out of it. And thankfully, you know, they got the W, so it was pretty awesome. Without that W, I I don't think that uh, Madden could have made an appearance, uh, many public appearances. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, he would have got stuff thrown at him or beat up anywhere he went. Yeah, it was it was a difficult game to figure, but the the only thing you can say is we won, and in this case, all that matters. No doubt. How long have you been a Cubs fan? Well, I grew up in Morrison, Illinois, former Mustang. You've at least heard of Morrison on account of St. Mead and Morrison being in the same conference. I have been there a couple times. Uh, Last time I was there was a Morrison Hall football game just a couple years ago. Well, Morrison unfortunately went downhill after 32 years of being in contention. They were in the playoffs all but three years and many, many one state two years and just got a bad streak there and uh, they're looking to turn things around and now I guess... Yeah, anyway, I'm I'm an old, we'll say former Mustang, not an old one. And speaking of the Mustangs, one thing I am pretty proud of is I turned 80 April 30th. Well, when I was less than six months old, my parents took me to my first Morrison High School sporting event at the old Morrison Coliseum. That's where they played their basketball games. That was in November of 1941. Well, even with coaching, I've been to at least one Morrison home sporting event. This year made 80 years. I went to their Morrison Fulton football game in April, which was a disaster. But at least I uh, kept my record of 80 years in a row intact. I don't know what anyone else uh, stayed there their whole life could say that.
Yeah, that's pretty incredible. 80 years you've been to at least one sporting event every year. One home Morrison sporting event. 79 of those were basketball, and this year there wasn't any basketball I could get to with COVID and all the restrictions. But football, they got me in, and I was outdoors and got to the games. Yeah, that made it uh, 80 years in a row. That's awesome. Congratulations to you. That's fantastic. Well, thank you. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed watching my friends, the uh, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, probably into great-great now. It's getting damn close, I suppose. Definitely. And you had mentioned coaching before. You were coaching for quite a long time. 56 years. Wow, that is long. 56 consecutive years. Wow, where did you coach at? Well, a lot of places. I started in Hinkley. First year, I had fifth and sixth grade basketball, two separate teams, and then for a couple of years, I had fifth, sixth, and seventh, and then, and then I ended up for many years with fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. I would have fifth and sixth graders before school from about 6.15 until 8.15, 8 o'clock. They had to have time to shower and change and everything. And then after school, from 3 until 5.30, I have 7th and 8th graders. Four separate teams, no assistant, just me. I had as many as, never less than 15 5th graders and, and 15 6th graders on each team. Usually quite a few more, usually 35 total between the two grades. 7th and 8th, we normally ran 15 on each team. Two separate games, no assistant, so I did that for... Many years, 16 years, and uh, I'll just put it this way, I had an opportunity to be the varsity coach, but there were things that required in terms of personal decisions that I didn't want to get involved in, so I didn't go through with that. I kept on coaching. It would, it would take quite a while to go through it all, but... Uh, I actually drove from Hinkley to Dwight for two years, and that's what got me coaching uh, varsity girls. I, I ended up coaching uh, varsity girls softball in Dwight and enjoyed that so much that it got me into varsity basketball. And I had in basketball just in uh, seventh and eighth grade uh, before that. Then I went to uh, Sandwich and ended up doing... Uh, Varsity girls there for quite a few years. I've done also some junior high there, something thanks grade boys and girls. I taught for 38 years. Do you just want to list the schools that you had coached at? Well, I went uh, from Sandwich. I went to Malta. Um, I took early retirement from teaching and taught at Malta on a block eight. I coached there... Uh, it's a small school, it was about, that time, about 160 probably, and uh, I didn't have an assistant there. I had the varsity girls and the freshman sophomore girls and coached both games, and we had about 17 kids out. And had a good time there. My wife got ovarian cancer, and uh, she was a teacher also, and uh, you have expenses. I was just volunteering the coaching at Malta, and you have expenses with cancer, even if you have good insurance. And so uh, Aurora Central Catholic needed a varsity girls coach, and I applied and 
had an interview and basically got hired on the spot and coached there six years, varsity girls, and we kind of got that program turned around. Then kind of reached a point where I thought, well, I was 60 years old, it was probably time to hang it up. And then, so in April, I resigned, and by June, I was already missing it and just started looking around. And and I'm somebody that doesn't care what age they coach, uh, whether it's boys or girls. And I noticed that Little Ohio had an opening on the IBCA website. So I called them and they said, can you come down today? And they said, how about tomorrow? And I went down and basically got hired that day. And that's how I got to know Kevin was coached in Ohio varsity girls. And that was one of the smartest things I ever did. Are you familiar at all with Ohio? Yeah, I've done many stories with them and talked to a lot of people from that school. There were 25 girls in the high school. I think the total, there were less girls than boys. There were 25 girls, 15 of them out for basketball, and I had met with Laura Ruder, my assistant. She was in on hiring me, and she said, you're going to be amazed when you see the talent here. And I went down and met the girls on the 3rd of July at night, worked out with them, and indeed I was amazed. You, you couldn't imagine you could have talent like that. 25 girls in school, 15 of them out for basketball. Well, the juniors, there were five just outstanding juniors, well, really six. In seventh grade, four of them won the 400 relay in the state uh, IESA track meet. It's, it's the kind of athletic talent you're talking about. Wow. So I had a, I had a ball there. Do you remember any of those players? You got their names? All of them that were married, I've been to their weddings, and we still have all of them who've gotten married. Uh, we still have social contact. We did, well, we did before COVID. I haven't seen any of them in person since COVID, but we would just get together. Yeah, there was Alicia Smith, Alicia Smith Davis, Christy Loftus, Christy, uh, Christy's married right now. I can't think of her maiden name. I know I went to her daughter's first birthday party. There was Dana Thomas. Stephanie, married name is Bartko. And I'm doing this all out of my head, naturally. That's impressive. Alicia and Stephanie were guards. Dana, Mia, Thomas, I gave you. Stephanie Bartko. I gave you. Did you just say Mia? Uh, well, she calls herself Dana Mia now, but it's Dana Thomas. Gotcha, okay. And her sister Renee started as a sophomore, actually, and one of the five juniors, I kept rotating her with the... When I came, they were juniors, and in their second year, they were uh, seniors, the names at least, but I hate to be good. Aaron Mosier was a girl who was probably seventh person. We're Stephanie Towns, and that's who I told you was Stephanie Bartko. Brittany O'Brien, tremendous three-point shooter, Brittany O'Brien. Those were the kids that were juniors. But my first year there for seniors, we also had Ashley Piper. Oh, I'm leaving out something pretty important. My second year in Ohio, or excuse me, my first year at Ohio, I got to coach the IBCA All-Star game for the Class A North. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we had uh, Ashley Piper, who was a starter that year and was IBCA All-Star, who got to play in the game. So that was pretty neat to be able to coach the game and have one of your own players in it. That was beyond neat. Oh, oh and something I want to make very clear was Jill Phelan was another senior that was um, really a help my first year there, along with Ashley Piper. What year would this have been? I came to Ohio in 2003, and I coached the All-Star game in 04, so it was... Well, it was the 3 04 season, and the All-Star game was June 21st of 04. That was my senior year. That was your senior year? Yeah, I graduated in 04, so 3 04 was my where, senior year. Where did you graduate from? Mendota. Okay. We were pretty tough with the Mendota girls, those two in 3 and 4. Mendota had pretty good teams, as I recall. Yeah, the year before, no, a couple years before, I think it was my freshman year. Yeah, it was my freshman year. They went to state with uh, Mike Kilmartin coaching that squad. Yeah, I remember uh, Kilmartin real well. He wasn't shy. No, he still isn't. (laughs) No, he's not. Probably never will be. Probably not, and if he listens to this, he will put a comment on Facebook. <laughs> oh, I guarantee you. I've coached hundreds, probably thousands. Oh yeah, if you go all the way back to 6th grade, I've coached thousands. 56 years is a long time. Something that was very interesting to me, my last year at Aurora Central Catholic, we had a pretty good team, and I had a D1 player, and that would have been the 2-0-3 season. And her name was Andrea Taylor, and anyway, she had quite a few D1 schools after her, and she ended up going to the Air Force Academy because her her dad was a career Air Force man, and I think he had a lot to do with that. DePaul was after her, and DePaul was pretty good at that time, and I think she would have been better off not going. You know, the, the military, what freshmen go through in terms of harassment, and hazing is on relative service academies. And I don't think Andrea was mentally geared for what she had to put up with. But anyway, long story short, she was MVP of the 2003 Class A North All-Star team. I had coached her, and the only people that went to watch were her mom, dad, her little sister, a couple friends, and me from uh, high school, by that time we were getting close to 600 probably. When Ashley Piper went, the year I coached, the next year I coached for Ohio, got to coach the game. At least 80 people from Little Ohio went down there. That's crazy. And the All-Star game had gotten to the point where it it didn't draw much anymore. Every time that Ashley would touch the ball, you'd hear a roar. And she made three baskets. And then you really heard a roar. And since Ohio had a quite a percentage of the crowd, I'm sure there were at least a thousand people there. Maybe it's at Illinois Wesleyan. Now it's in Pontiac the last several years. But anyway, that was uh, 
a fun, fun experience to get to have players in the game back to back. One of them the MVP, 03, but then in 04 to have your own player be on the team and you get to coach the game and then have, her had on account of the fact she was in the game have at least 80 people at a minimum from Ohio. What we got me through the excitement of Ohio when uh, my second year there when Christy Loffis and Alicia Smith and uh, Brittany O'Brien and Dana Thomas and Stephanie, when they were seniors, we were in the 16-team Dixon tournament, Christmas tournament. That was 12 double A's and it was two class system and four A's. Well, three of the A's were over 500 students. Oregon was in it and they were over 500 then and they, I think Byron and I don't remember the other one and there was us with 55 students. Dixon had a pretty good team that year and we lost to Dixon by a point in the first game. This would have been December of 04. And then we beat LaSalle Peru probably 15, maybe 20, I don't know, but it was relatively easy. And there was a nice headline blurb in the Dixon Telegraph. Lady Bulldogs beat school 28 times their size because LP was a 1,400 and some at that time, and we were 55. And then due to poor coaching, the next day we lost to Rock Island by three. That's how good those girls were. You were taking the blame for that one, poor coaching? Yeah, I was saying it was poor coaching that we that we lost to Rock Island by three. I, don't, I, I just was more or less saying that because when you lose close games, it's supposed to be the coach's fault, isn't it? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Anyway, anyway, no, they gave they gave it all they had, and it was fun. And the following we had in Ohio, that's what I'll never forget. I think every girl, someone would soon correct me on it, but I think every girl had at least one set of grandparents who lived in the Ohio school district. Well, with 15 girls on the basketball, 15 minutes before the press-off game started, you'd see lots of people over opposite the bench. And seniors are known for going to things easy. And I would say 90% of the people there at 10 minutes to 6 had gray hair. Crowds we got were just totally amazing when you consider the size of the community compared to, uh, like, the size of the crowds of Aurora Central Catholic We the Ohio crowds were far, far better—not percentages and actual attendance. Yeah, it's crazy um, how some schools, no matter what size they are, travel better than other schools, or even just show up to their home gym more than other schools. Oh, I mean, our our home games, like one of the biggest games we had there, Erie, Erie came in uh, undefeated in the Three Rivers, is what they called it at that time. It still is. We beat them at the end of the game on an exciting play, a steal or something. And I've got that game on tape, which I do a lot of games, but I, I, I should have that one made, made the DVD and show the end of it, get those girls together, because the way people celebrated, and you know we were playing a good team and we had a good record, and it was basically a capacity crowd. It was something else. Never forget that. The reason I left Ohio after three years 
was the athletic director comes up to me at graduation in May and says, here's our schedule for next year. Well, she cut the schedule to 10 games. And I'm like, you're going to take all these games away from the kids? And and selfishly, I was, I was going to drive from Hinkley to, uh, which was an hour each way approximately, to Ohio each day for those kids to have gaps in their schedule of a month. So you got to try to find more games. Well, she didn't. And so I uh, decided you can't do this. And well, maybe it was time to quit. And then once again, I saw it as time went on. Well, I went on down the road and spent a couple years at Papua. I was there two years. I did have a heart problem right around Christmas, the second year or so. Didn't finish the year at Pawpaw. I had had triple bypass on March 23rd of 2007, which was past my first year. Oh, just before Christmas, the doctor thought it was best that I not coached for a while. But I still count that as part of my 56 consecutive years because I went till Christmas. That's long enough. You deserve that year. Once again, just kind of horsing around wondering about what I was going to do in the future. And after all those years, it not being life or death. But again, this time it got to be fall. And I'm like, hey, maybe you got to look around a little bit. Well, anyway, I was living in Hinkley yet. And a friend said, hey, Hinkley Big Rock doesn't have a freshman coach. And this was about about the week practice was supposed to start. And so I went and talked to Bill Sandbrook's CAD, and again, it was an on-the-spot thing. Well, yeah, you, I immediately became freshman coach at HBR. Boys did that that year and really enjoyed it and came back the next year and had one of the best bunches of kids they ever had, and he knew we had a really good bunch. It was such a good bunch that five of them I didn't coach at all. They were strictly fresh soft, and they started, four of the five started uh, fresh soft, and it wasn't long until all five of the fresh soft starters were freshmen. And then he got us a heck of a schedule with good tournaments, and we had like 26 games or something. The next group that I had was so good would have been second stringers all their life to these kids. Give them a heck of a game of practice or maybe beat them or, I don't know, we were like 20, 22 and 6 or something and did real well in some tournaments and that was a heck of a bunch. So I really enjoyed that. Then I kept doing freshman boys and then I did press soft boys. And actually, one year... You know, Kingston Varsity Girls was open, and uh, I um, did that. I would say that would have been the 2011-12 season. I did GK Varsity Girls. That, I, I don't know, I wasn't that excited about the drive, and I, it was sort of a take-it-or-leave-it situation, so I went back to coaching uh, HBR freshman, sophomore boys, and did that for... 12, 13, 13, 14, 14, 15, and 15, 16. Uh, the last team I had it would have been the 15, 16 uh, freshman, sophomore boys at HBR was really, really outstanding. And, and once again, he got a real good schedule and we got in tournaments where the other schools were bigger and had a, had a great time. 
And then, um, again, I don't know whether I thought I was too old. They thought I was too old. There was a younger guy that kind of wanted to get started. And uh, so I sort of wasn't going to coach anymore again. And, and once again, the bug got me. I ended up coaching Lamoille Crestwalk boys for three years. And uh, we had winning records. In fact, one of the games that I, I remember, one of the biggest thrills that I had in coaching was at Lamoille in December of would have had to have been 18. We were behind Mendota, 36 to 21 at the half, and we beat them like 63 to 49. They scored 13 in the second half, and we scored whatever it would add up to. Wow, that's crazy. And I've got a video of the locker room after that game, and it's on Facebook. And I had a ten, I don't know how this got started, but I got to going, blah, blah, blah. And the kids would get to chanting, blah, 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 BWI, blah, blah, blah. And after that Mendota game, there's a video of us in the locker room after I talked to them a little bit going, running lions, blah, 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 over and over again. And I went to uh, Lamoille graduation party Saturday. Jason Martin's where that uh, video was talked about and chanted a little bit. I can't coach right at the moment, but I can still blah a little bit. How old were you when you took the Lamoille job? When I took the job in the fall of 16, I suppose I was 76. I wasn't the youngest coach to ever take a job. How was, you know, connecting with these young kids? You know, you're coaching freshmen and you're 76. How was that connect with, you know, coach, player with that differential of age? I think you would have to ask them. If you could see the locker room that I'm talking about on video just two years ago, this past December, I think you'd, you'd understand what I'm talking about. I'm friends with most of those kids on Facebook and with this pancreatic cancer thing, I've heard from a lot of them. And pancreatic cancer business was found out. And also, if you look back around uh, the time of my birthday, I can see what I'm talking about. So several of those kids are on there. A friend of mine made a video that's on Facebook. I don't know how she did it, but she contacted people and a lot of them uh, made statements on Facebook on April 30th, which was my birthday. It's difficult to tell about, but I think I could walk into most rooms full of teenagers, be they boys or girls, and uh, make a connection. I can't explain it. I mean, I sure as hell wouldn't have done it. If they didn't want me around, there wasn't much doubt about that. That's pretty amazing. That's awesome. I don't really act much different than I ever did. So you're like an 80-year-old, 15-year-old? Something like that. Let me tell you this. In my opinion and experience, there are two things that have to be present to a relatively strong degree to be a success as a teacher or coach or leader of young people. One of the things is you have to know what you're doing to a certain degree. 
and the kids have to know that you care about them. And that doesn't matter whether it's junior high or high school or college. If they know that you know what you're doing, and even more importantly, that you genuinely care about them and the actions that you take are in their best interests, then good things are going to happen. Without one of those, not that good of things are going to happen. Is that fair? Have you ever observed that before? I have. I definitely have. I've been around uh, sports and coaching and journalism with sports for, oh, 25 years. And, yeah, I, I agree with you. No, does that always mean you let people do what they want? Of course not. But, I mean, you, you cannot fool kids. If you go in to teach the history class, they're going to know in short time whether you know your history or not. They can uh, smell out a fake real fast. Exactly. And the same thing if you genuinely care about them and even the disciplining that you have to do, if they know that's done to help them and that sometimes things have to have consequences, then that's, that's usually okay. I think the more that you interact with them just on a personal level, uh, you know, I ask them how they're doing that. And I say probably dumb things for some coaches would say at the beginning of practices and stuff, especially at the start of the year. You know, they know they're supposed to pay attention. One of the things that's been the best for me, if someone would dare to be trying to whisper or talk during one of my brilliant coaching orations at the start of practice or any other time, I will take and I'll snap my finger and I will point at that individual and I'll double up my fist and fake like I'm hitting my own jaw, but I've pointed at them. And they'll smile and shake their head. And 99.8% of the time, that takes care of it. And if I get too silly, they'll get to pointing at me and giving me a fist back. And that hasn't changed. They enjoy it. And I think they're even disappointed if at least once every couple of practices there isn't a snap of the finger on the slug with the jaw. And since that's part of me, that works for me. Now, I, for you, that might not work at all. Yeah, I don't know if I could pull that one off. Because you snap your finger, your middle finger and your thumb, and then you point right at that person with your index finger. I'm left-handed. I take my left hand and smack it hard into my right hand like I was smacking myself in the jaw. And in other words, I'm saying to them, shut the hell up. You're going to get a smack in the jaw. <laughs> I like it. I'm going to have to try that. And I don't want to sound conceited, but I know I am blessed with somewhat of an ability to relate to people between 11 and 20. Good skill to and have. I mean, the way that, I mean, I don't chase these people around trying to stay in their lives with this pancreatic cancer, the, the boost from them just messages and stuff or a like or something, you knowing that they care, the chemos are working, but I think the prayers and the positive support are what's given the chemos to shove too. That's my own personal philosophy. 
Definitely. I agree with you. I have uh, unfortunately known quite a few people that have went through cancer situations and they all have said the same thing, that when things are going rough, like the support and the people that, you know, say things to them, that has been just as big of a help as things like chemo. When were you uh, officially diagnosed? I went to the emergency room in Geneva, uh, Del Nor Hospital, they're affiliated with Northwestern. Northwestern University. Okay. And my daughter took me there a couple of years ago for, for something and late at night, and we were so impressed with our care. See, I, I think I'd have found out about this sooner if it hadn't been for COVID. But they said, you know, don't go to the doctor unless you absolutely have to. The 31st of January, I was still walking outdoors four miles a day. If you remember, January was warm. The sun was covered, or the snow was covered, at least up here, was covered with anywhere from a foot to 18 inches of snow. But it was warm. The height being the low 30s, mid 30s, and low in the teens. Then February comes and it's zero every day. And that was about the first of February, was about when I started. You know, I knew I was having symptoms, never would have dreamed what they were. But if it hadn't been, you're not supposed to go to the doctor unless it's absolutely necessary. I would have gone probably by early January, I'm sure. Or maybe even sooner. But it was, you know, it was lots of gastric distress and bloating and belching and more and more. And then stomach pains didn't go away and called my gastro and she gave me some more of a pill that helped with the gas. And anyway, I went to the emergency room, drove myself during the day because I had so much faith in their emergency room. I knew they would probably do x-rays, do scans, whatever they thought necessary once they evaluated me. And I was right. They did a, a CT scan with dye and this was during the day. And I felt bad for my daughter. She had, I mean, it wasn't the type of emergency that you usually go to the emergency room for, but I, I figured that would be the quickest care. They're not like Aurora and DeKalb. They're just absolutely running over. That would take five or six hours to ever get seen. I got seen within probably 45 minutes. Anyway, the doctor comes back after they do the CT. My daughter just got in there, and he said, Sir, you have... Stage four pancreatic cancer, tumors in your pancreas, and it's already in your liver. And he said, I've got you an appointment with Dr. So-and-so, who's one of their oncologists who specializes in pancreatic cancer. She said we could go to Northwestern first before she started treatment. And I thought, well, if she can already set up the appointment that fast, we better go. And we went and we had an appointment with a pancreatic cancer specialist. And he said... We would start treatment exactly as they are. And if you don't see results after the first three, a session is like three Thursdays and you're off Thursday. And then, and then you keep alternating. He meant after three, after nine sessions is what he really meant. And um, he said, if you don't see progress, then we'll reevaluate and see what else is out there. But he said, this is how we start. He said, we've had some success. I probably started chemos around the 20th of March. I had nine weeks, and then I did another scan, and the tumors had 
shrunk considerably in the pancreas and in the liver uh, a week ago Friday. So that was cause for some celebration. And the tumor level marker started out at 80,600 and it was down to 629, I believe they do, after every three chemos. And it's it's been going steadily down. Uh, it's not as accurate as some tumor level markers, but the uh, scans, uh, CTs are accurate. So that's where we are right now. And, and without really spelling it out, I remember now the people we talked to at the start at Northwestern and at Delnor and a telephone visit at Mayo's, they all said they'd start the same way, which was encouraging. And they also all had the dreaded three to six months words in there in the prognosis. So uh, that was kind of scary to hear. But that was if things didn't work like they hoped. So that was a long speech about where we are, but that's where we are. No worries, no worries. Thank you for uh, discussing that with us. Uh, talking about cancer and going through it is definitely can't be easy. It's not easy. Oh, I did end up coaching varsity girls the last year I coached, which was the 1920 season at North Boone. That was a good experience. We had a pretty good team. I, did I say varsity girls? I meant junior varsity girls. And they got an odd situation in that conference since Mendota's going into it. You might be aware of it. Or no, Mendota just came out of that conference. Yeah, Mendota is now going to the Three Rivers. In 1977, Morrison went to state, and their enrollment in boys basketball, and their enrollment was 677. It got down to 265. That's wow. why they're in one in some things. Wow. And now Mendota with, what, 565 at least? Yeah, something like that. They're coming in. Morrison does have 100 eighth graders and only graduated 62 uh, seniors. So they'll, if they keep the, if that 100 eighth grader isn't an, isn't an anomaly, they'll be getting back up to 300 again, but easily. But the way these enrollments have dropped, well, like Amboy used to be like 575, and they're they don't even have 200, I don't think. Yeah, Mendota's pretty small number wise too. Oh, yeah, they're five-something. They used to be around 1,000, right? Yeah, when I was in school, my senior year, I think we had like 280 kids in our senior class. People talk about sports being overemphasized. When my dad played high school football for Morrison in the fall of, he was a senior in the fall of 1927, and the conference that they were in, I don't know what they labeled it, but it was Morrison, Sterling, Dixon, Rockfall, Rochelle, Mendota, and one other one that might be kind of surprising, it might have been Oregon. There were at least seven schools. Are you talking about the NCIC? It was before they labeled it the NCIC, but a lot of it was the original NCIC, except when the, when the original NCIC was for, for Morrison was no longer, you know, they were quite a bit smaller than most of those schools. Yeah. But on football Fridays... Of course, they were, the games were played Friday afternoon. They had to start about 1 o'clock in the fall to, to make sure they're on account of darkness. Nobody had lights in the 20s. They got on the train in Morrison, Illinois, like shortly after school started. And if they were playing in Rochelle or Dixon or wherever they were, Mendota, 
they took the train, and any kid that wanted to get out of school and ride that train to the game could do it. And every once in a while I laugh, and I'm like, they think sports are over their size today sometimes. <laughs> you know, that a kid could miss uh, three or four Fridays, not just a football player, but a kid who wanted to go to the game or thought that going to the game on the train would be a little more fun than whoever stayed at school. I'm not so old, but I wouldn't have had more fun on the train than I would have at school. <laughs> same, same here. You know, in high school, wouldn't you rather go on to a football game on the train or been the player on? And I had to bring that up because my dad's the reason I ended up coaching. He was, he was a farm kid. He didn't go out to get to go out for football until he was a senior. And they were 6-1-1, one and one, and I've heard every, every score and every story about every game. I wish I could still hear him again. That's one thing I regret. My parents were going to come up and see me coach a game after Christmas in the fall of 1964, which would have been January of 65. My dad died of a heart attack December 18th, so I never got to see me coach again. Without him, I wouldn't have ended up in coaching, so every once in a while I do think of that. But, you know, being in um, Ohio, that's how I met Kevin, and he... He covered quite a few of our games, and you could look up my name and see some articles he's written. He's written. He's probably gone overboard a few times in praising the coach. I would say, but <laughs> a lot better than the other way around. <laughs> True. And, and usually, it was things the kids had said, so it wasn't like it wasn't anything I had said about. Look at me, we won because I called this play. Yeah, you know, Kevin's. Uh, really they could use more people like him and he's coached himself and he does a nice job with junior high and i can tell from the things that i the returns that he gets from people on facebook that they appreciate him let's say definitely kevin is a great guy he's been on here before and of course we are talking about kevin hieronymus he was just named to the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association Hall of Fame this past year, and I think he's got his benefit coming up pretty quick. August 28th, they are going ahead and having it. And the Hinkley Big Rock girls won state championships in 9 and 10 in Class um, A, and their teams are being inducted. Got to get my ticket. You, you get stuff from the IBCA if you're already in I went in the Hall of Fame in uh, the IBCA Hall of Fame uh, with the class of 2011. They didn't know that, that you were going to coach for 10 years after that? I think there was something in the papers about, eh, does this mean you'll be hanging it up then? I said, no, I, as long as I have a gym right now, I feel like as long as I have a gym, and some kids to coach. I don't care whether it's varsity or fifth grade or seventh grade, boys, girls, what it is. I still want to coach. And that was 10 years ago. And, yeah, I thought if I stayed healthy, I probably would go a long, long time. And then in, in Hinkley Big Rock, in February of 2014, they, had a, they honored me for having coached 50 years. Kevin wrote an article about the... Uh, and it, it ended up being in, have you ever heard of Resource Bank? I have. 
they put out their own magazine and if you would want more boring information there are a couple girls that are they're having a uh, open house for me at the Hinkley Community Building on Saturday, July 10th, uh, in honor of 56 years of coaching and being in the Hall of Fame, etc., and 36 years, 38 years of teaching. And this Resource Bank magazine, the girls that are holding this open house that started it, want me to get pictures and memorabilia and stuff together. They don't issue by month, but this would have been from honoring 50 years of coaching. It was um, February, early February of 1974. It's volume eight, issue one. It's called Your Resource for Living. And there's nothing on the front page about it, but there's a really nice four-page article that starts on page 12. 50 years of coaching basketball with no timeouts is the title of the article. And I don't know if they keep their articles or not. It's called Your... The title of it is Your Resource for Living. It's put out once a month by Resource Bank. It went into a lot of the things uh, that I've told you about, but Definitely, and that was 2014? Yeah. It's called Your Resource for Living. It's Resource Banks. If you went to a resource bank, they would have, they could probably tell you how you could get a hold of that old magazine if you wanted one. Volume 8, Issue 1 of 1914, Your Resource for Living. Before I moved to Mendota in 1999, I lived in... uh, Sycamore, DeKalb, uh, we knew people that lived in Malta, so I'm kind of from that area too. I was Then I came from Rockford before there, and Janesville, Wisconsin, and everywhere north of Mendota is where I was from before here. So, I know your area. I forgot to tell you, I did tell you I coached at Malta, I guess. You did, you did, and when you said well, that, I, I smiled. I the girls, the girls program, and I taught every other day on a block eight, and the most exciting thing I ever did was get a service learning program. Started there at Malta, that went up to Henrici's, the clock tower, for a week, and the Malta Lions Club paid for it, and they wanted a course that was kind of for at-risk kids, but yet was for everybody, and we, we became the premier service learning program in the, the country. That's Believe awesome. it or not, we really did. Truly amazing. If you would look up old DeKalb Chronicles in the 90s, you could look up DeKalb's or or, uh, Malta High School. Yeah, we were picked as the Illinois representative to go to the national or the international world service learning convention. Three kids and I and stay up there for a week and be presenters. And when Malta High School closed, the Lions Quest Corporation did an international service learning video, and they picked three schools in the world to be in it, and they came and filmed us, not with a little camcorder, but regular lights, filmed the kids in action for a week. A school from the Cayman Islands, one from the Philippines, and Malta High School was the United States representative. That's were, crazy. That is truly amazing. That, that, that was 
the most exciting, and I love teaching, but that was the most exciting thing I ever did educationally. I mean, around DeKalb, kids went to Hope Haven Homeless Shelter. They went to uh, Meals on Wheels, the Voluntary Action Center, uh, Barb City Manor, the DeKalb County Senior Citizens Home. That's not the exact label, but you know what I mean, the, yeah. the county home for seniors. And one thing we did was once a month we went to... Uh, one of the nursing homes and played bingo with the residents and it was so neat they wouldn't tell the kids we were coming and there was a boy uh sat down and these two little old ladies came and sat next to him and one said he's mine and the other one said no he's mine this was a high school senior boy and i said well how would it be if you just each one sat on one side and one the other and you shared it well that would be okay they were probably mid-80s, I would say. And it was just two rivers had start. One boy went there, and uh, the teachers said that was the, probably the only man that a lot of those kids saw sometimes for a month at a time, that he would be the only male in their life. And uh, he ended up majoring in early childhood, which I thought was pretty neat because not many guys in the 90s were majoring in early childhood. No, probably not. He made a career of it. That's awesome. I'd have to call that the highlight of my educational career. And that and always insisting that we didn't just diddle with the Constitution. We really taught the Constitution and they had to pass it and they learned it. And each year I challenge them, how many, how many 100s out of however many kids I'd have in the class? Uh, maybe 100. If I was in Sandwich, maybe 100. Or depending where I or more, maybe 150 in six classes. How many are going to get 100? How many are going to get in the 90s? Last year's average was 90.7%. Let's get 90.8%. And we usually they end up beating what the year before did. It, we made it not a scare tactic. We made it a challenge. That's awesome. Through one of the Supreme Court cases, and I mean, they learned, they learned the Constitution, probably know more about it than a lot of these people posted on Facebook today who wouldn't have it. I don't care which side you're on. I'm scared of our political system today. Yeah, I, I don't have a side. I'm one of those guys that just tries to pick the best things that I see, and, you know, usually that's kind of hard to do, too. So I don't really... Let's, let, let's, be, uh, let's be Americans. Let's not, let's not go backwards. Correct. That is my philosophy as well. I believe that. I happened to uh, grow up in Ronald Reagan country. In fact, my dad played football against Ronald Reagan when Dixon was playing, or Reagan was playing for Dixon and my dad for Morrison. And um, I got a picture of my dad and Ronald Reagan accidentally taken at the Whitehead County Fair, and they both were 10 years old in 1920. Oh. Um, and I always wondered, well, Reagan wasn't a foreign kid. What was he doing there with a steer? Well, when he was in Dixon for a homecoming as a movie star once, that picture appeared in the paper, and relatives cut it out for us. And... It did say Ronald Reagan and Robert Mason, and they showed him. And anyway, that always bugged me. Well, I've got a friend there, and who was out in Scottsdale. Now she's in Wilmington, North Carolina. We we drove over from Scottsdale to the Reagan Museum, and I got a book there in the souvenir shop. And I'm reading along after we get home. I'm oh my god, now I know. Ronald Reagan used to stay with a farm family 
with relatives on the farm near Morrison, Illinois, and then I knew why he was able to show a steer without being a farm kid because he was staying in the summer with relatives. You've never heard of white pigeon. Look it up on the map. You'll find out it's in the Morrison School District. Well, that's crazy. Um, white pigeon. It, it might have three houses or one of those. <laughs> but they gave it a name. White pigeon. I don't know whether a white pigeon flew through there once and someone saw it. Or So then the mystery was solved after all those years, and that's the only book that I happened to mention. That, you know, I stayed on a farm in the summers, probably when it was like 9 through 15 years old or something before he was a lifeguard at Lowell Park and had all those girls pretend drowning. <laughs> right. Girls wouldn't do that, would they? Oh, no, not at all. They don't pretend anything. So do you, so do you have a family? Or? I do not. I uh, do not have any kids. And been engaged once, been in three really long relationships, but... Haven't went to the, the next step, so I don't know if it's me. Let's see, how old are you? I am 35. Oh, well, you're you're just the right age to still have fun and not be tied down. And if you want to be tied down, you, I'll bet you a nickel you end up before you're 40 married. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Maybe I'm hard to get along with, John. Maybe that's what's going on here. I do have to admit that a lot of these girls that I've coached and stayed in my life to tell me that guys today are jerks. <laughs> I can see that. I can see it. I try not to yeah. be. I try not to be, but... You try not, but I mean, some of the things they tell me, I'm like, well, we didn't act that way. I don't know. They just haven't found the right jerk yet. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Well, anyway, um, I've kept you here half the night. No problem. This has been a fantastic conversation. I kind of cold called you, sort of, kind of. We had not met. I'd never spoken to you before, and I got to learn a lot about your life and your career. 80 years of just awesomeness and 56 years coaching, Hall of Fame career. Thank you for sharing all of that with us at Edge of Your Seat Podcast. It has been awesome having the opportunity uh, to speak with you. had fun, and I wouldn't mind... uh, Seeing what you end up with, I can always turn it off or laugh or cry or or something. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, no, I'm a very blessed person who's thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed uh, doing what I do. My dad having to die when I was 23, that was not easy. Never seeing me coach. And my wife dying in 2000 of ovarian cancer wasn't easy, but I've still been blessed with the, I've got the greatest daughter in the world to put up with me. Before I let you go, we have to give all of them shout-outs, so can you give me your daughter's name, your wife's name, and your dad's name? My dad's name was Robert Mason. He was a graduate of Morrison High School in 1928. My mother was Cecile Mason, Cecile Olson Mason. She was orphaned at an early age and was shuttled around to various relatives in the Massachusetts, Connecticut area and went to college at Flagstaff, Arizona, what's then was Arizona State Teachers and now is like the schools around here, it's NIU, so there it's ASU something or another. It's not ASU because that'd be Arizona State University, but I mean, it's they all have a university name just like Illinois. I'm a 
huge Illini fan. That's important. And we are coming back. The, the Prophetstown boy, Brett Bielman, is going to bring football back. In basketball, I don't some. If we ever just get our own players, all we need for the University of Illinois to be good is three of the top ten players in the state every year. We'd be top ten every year in the final four more often than not. Yeah, that's a prejudice. That's a prejudice opinion, but look around and see the Illinois high school basketball players in the NCAA tournament and uh, in '89. Everybody on the roster of the flying line and we're all from the state. Anyway, I didn't need to give a line I speech, but I'm a <laughs> No worries. A, a big fan who if you can be a cup fan all your life, you can be an Illini fan all your life. Because the two are kinda similar late years. I actually think almost every Chicago team you can put in the same kind of bubble. I mean Honestly, the only one that I think you couldn't that kind of remained successful might be the Blackhawks, but they have had their own down years. But it seems like every other year, there's more down than there is good. Once they finally got back and won once, they kept it going longer than Chicago teams usually do. And of course, with Michael, the Bulls had a nice run, but after that, it didn't take long. After that and before that, before he got to the Bulls, they were the cocaine Bulls and didn't do anything. And then since then, we know the story. And, and you know, I'm kind of odd. I, even though I'm a Cub fan, I'm, I'm not a White Sox hater. I wanted the Sox to win in 05. Out where I grew up, most people were Cub fans, but they didn't hate the White Sox. I mean, everybody wanted them to win in 59. Oh, ju- just as one, one real quickie. Do you want to know who started the 59 Sox, the White Sox in the 59 World Series? I do want to know. Who's that? Okay. Ted Kozuski was first base the second half of the season. Uh, Nellie Fox, second base. Louis Aparicio, short. Bubba Phillips, third. Al Smith, left. Porter Minnie Minoso got traded to Cleveland for one year. He should have been out there and left, but he was in Cleveland. Uh, Jim Land to center. Jungle Jim Rivera, right. Early win, Dick Donovan. Billy Pierce, Bob Shaw, starting pitchers, Jerry Staley, Turk Lawn relievers, Jim McEnany, relief fielder. Wow. Uh, how's that for a Cubs fan? <laughs> wow. Wow. I did hear a lot of their games because the Cubs weren't much good other than Ernie was MVP again. It was like 58. Un- unbelievable. But the Cubs always had somebody... They could hit home runs at Wrigley Field, and they usually were competitive. If you look at their record in the 50s, they, they were usually pushing 500 and once in a while even beat it in the 50s. Well, even but in my time in the 80s and 90s and 2000s before the, you know, the Sammy Sosa era and that when they had really good teams, it always seemed like they had one or two guys that you still wanted to watch or you still wanted to turn on the radio to listen to to see what they did. They might not have been good teams, but they've always had at least one or two really talented people. I would agree. There was always some player that was at the top of the league and something that you kind of wanted to, to hear and... I used to get so frustrated, like in 59, I'd, I'd listen to Ernie Banks bat, then I'd turn over and listen to the White Sox, because they were, they, they were always in the race. We used to get uh, Harry Carey and the Cardinals through uh, Quad City Radio. Oh, that's, that's one of Kevin's problems, is that uh, Red Cardinal thing. But <laughs> I agree. I, I, 
I guess I can forgive him for that. <laughs> I, I guess if he's got to have one flaw, we have to forgive him, right? Right, but I will admit that, and I think he would admit too, that deep down he wanted the Cubs to win in 2016. I think he did. I really do, I think. He had enough Cup fan friends he wanted to be happy for. My gosh, his mother was the, the Cardinal fan, Redberg Ruth. Oh, yeah, definitely. I know nothing about her except what I've read, you know, on Facebook and talked to him just very, very briefly about. She sounded like quite a quite a lady. Definitely. Well, I think this year in that division, you may be able to look at it two two ways. All the teams tied for first, or maybe you could say they all tied for last. Yeah, that's true. And if the Pirates could get going and get involved here, we could get them all tied and call it tied for last. They beat the White Sox, which that made me upset. Well, they are you a Sox fan? I, I am like you, but the opposite way. So I met Frank Thomas when I was eight years old, so I've been a White Sox fan, but I am not a Chicago Cubs hater. I was just at a okay. Cubs, Cubs game last week, and I got hats and shirts, so I'm like you are. All right. No, I'm, I'm number one a Cubs fan, but um, I, I look at it this way with, with the Cardinals. If the Cardinals and the Mets are playing in the playoffs, I'm going to root for the Cardinals. What in the hell do I want to root for New York for? Right. And a lot of people don't like that because they want me to hate the Cardinals and hate the White Sox. Well, I don't get my pleasure out of hating other people's teams. Yeah, that doesn't do anything. I hope nobody's getting charged by the hour for this. (laughs) No, no, but I am going to let you go. Before we hit the record button, we were talking about NBA playoffs and this game's about to start, and I want to watch it. So I got to let you go. It has been amazing speaking with you, John Mason. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. And please send me something uh, on Facebook so I can at least uh, see what you end up with. At least you can pretend you're looking at a 30-year-old face, not an 80-year-old one.